Are you a sexy, indulgent musician suffering from consistent long hours, crippling self-doubt, and constant disappointment? Well, do we have a show for you. Welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Disappointment, a bi-weekly deep dive into what it takes to be a healthy and successful musician in the modern industry. My name is Melody Kaiser. And I'm Dustin Williams. And we are both full-time musicians and creative entrepreneurs. And today, in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. and MLK Day, we are discussing music of the civil rights movement and are going to dissect three of our personal favorite civil rights anthems. Yes. Yes, indeed. Kind of a heavy topic, but we are going to try to have fun with it as much as possible. Yeah. Um, One thing that Dustin and I definitely agree on uh, and have in common is that we love the music from this period. Oh, yeah. So um, this is definitely kind of a passion topic for both of us. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to lie, though. I learned a lot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, same. Even researching for this, um, you know, obviously we're going to have to be sensitive to it. Because this is something that we are very far removed from, not only in time, but in culture. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think let's just get started. This is going to be a really fun one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So just to do some like background on the topic, um, Dustin, you actually did more research on this part. Do you want to kind of talk to us about um, kind of enough history of the civil rights movement to give us context when we start to talk about the music. Yeah. 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 Um, so like you prefaced, I mean, um, you know, we're not experts in this, uh, particular subject and, um, you know, so I'm trying to be, uh, intentionally somewhat vague because I don't want to get, um, I don't want to miscommunicate ideas, um, or, or history here, but, um, I found an interesting article, um, on PBS, um, that was kind of talking about this in particular. Um, so there's a long history, of course, um, of pre-emancipation music um, rooted in hymns and chants. So a lot of like religious background to the to the early stuff here. Um, and uh, the music, you know, was was used really in a lot of ways. Um, obviously, one of the biggest ones was to inspire and bring hope. Um, to enslave people or um, even even people who who may not have been uh, slaves at this point but were um, still you know subject to a lot of cruelty and racism and um, hate and violence um, so the music was used to you know as a way to kind of um, and keep you going really um, right and it was also used to communicate um, ideas like um, like plans or places of safety um, that you could go to. Um, so, you know, there was a lot more to it than just the, the let's bring hope to this really tough, um, situation, but, you know, let's also, Hey, here's a place you can go or, or, um, you know, here's what we're going to do on, on this time and day. Um, but obviously this is kind of, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think it's interesting that you said hymns and chants because Mm -hmm. you can hear that not only in the civil rights music we're talking about today, but in early um, black and African-American music in general. Yeah, that's a huge part. Actually, I was listening um, recently. I was showing a friend, you know, the Etta James song, um, Something's Got a Hold on Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and she only knew it from where it had been sampled. And I forget who sampled it, but the Mm. whoa. 
sometimes I get a good feeling. Yeah. Right. And I was uh-huh. like, oh, I like the original song. And they're like, what original song? Like they had no idea it was a sample. <laughs> Um, but you could really hear like that, that song is a good example and there's so many, but you know, it's kind of got that, um, yeah, in the background, like Mm -hmm. that gospel kind of call and response thing. Yep. Um, and that did carry over into like sixties, probably even the seventies, honestly. Definitely. But, um, that song just kind of came to head just because the other, uh, came to mind. Cause the other day when we were listening, I was like, that sounds like something you would hear in like a church. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you and know, it was. Kind of yeah. that, Give it to me, God. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, so I just thought that was interesting you brought that up because that just recently kind of was happened in my life. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, that's cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, so um, speaking of that, um, so a lot of the this music, um, you know, in its original form was vocal um and rhythmic in the beginning right so again back to the chants like um there would be like a song leader who would kind of initiate the chant and then um the congregation would respond um and it would just be this back and forth thing and you know there was like a steady rhythm that just kind of um you know kept the beat and 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 um it was, you know, these same songs were were even incorporated in later eras, like in the '60s, um, during the marches um, as well. So there was there was a practical application to the approach. Um, obviously, it was vocal because it was easier to march and and um, sing in a church and not have to have a whole band and um, you know other musicians that had to play and whatnot too. It's just it's easy to just use your voice and and shout back and forth. Um, so, uh, some common examples of these earlier songs, um, are, uh, songs like, uh, this little light of mine, we shall overcome onward Christian soldiers, which apparently was in particular, um, popular in, um, Alabama and then, uh, lift him up. Um, I didn't, I don't, I wasn't aware of the last one on, on the four that I just named there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first two for sure. I mean, they're just kind right. of in the cultural zeitgeist at this point. But um, the third one, a little less so, and the fourth one I, I hadn't heard. But again, kind of like you mentioned earlier, you know, you and I are um, a little more culturally removed from from this as well, being, you know, white, white people from the South. Like, it, right. it wasn't, I mean, you know. you know what's interesting, though, is I do think us being from the South, at least like, because I know your parents are from New Jersey, right? Um, well, uh, no, I mean, their families are Southern families. Like okay. my mom grew okay, up in Maryland. Cool. My dad was born in, in Mississippi. So like, uh, right. even though they lived in New Jersey, that was just a product of, of work. Great. So what I was going to say is I don't know that we're as far removed as, as a lot of people are. Maybe not. <laughs> Cause we're in the epicenter of it, you know, well, yes, like even as, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, even as white people, we've seen what kind of has gone on <laughs> yeah yeah um, even right. in our lifetimes it's not over it's probably no. far from over no um you know what i was gonna say with we shall overcome i thought mm-hmm. this was very interesting and i'm probably gonna get some facts wrong because i um i didn't really research it but i do want to encourage everybody to go check it out because it's kind of a, a huge case is we shall overcome it was definitely more recent than not but i couldn't tell you the exact year because all of my years are running together now. In the last three, I've lost everything. Yeah. But We Shall Overcome, um, it was 
not in public domain, even though it's a very old song because artists kept adding to it. I mean, the mm-hmm. song has like so many um, versions. It just verses because verses, it's added. Oh. It's been added to and added to and added to by generations. Mm-hmm. So basically what people were doing is every time they would change it, they would copyright it as their, oh. their version. Interesting. Um, but then it became kind of like a touchy subject because you know? yeah. then you have like, well, if I sing this, it's not public domain. If I sing this, it is. It got very convoluted. Yeah. And so it made it all the way to the Supreme Court and they ruled that the whole song, whether it's added to or not, is public domain because of the cultural significance that it holds. Wow. Which I think is pretty incredible. For the topic we're talking about, like the United States Supreme Court found that it had enough significance, mostly, I'm sure, from the civil rights movement. Yeah. Right. um, That it should always be considered public domain. That's really cool. So what year was that uh, court? You know, let me look it up because now um, I'm super curious. Yeah, that's Um, interesting. I mean, I mean, that's like such a rare occurrence. Like there's very few things that are thrown into the public domain for for cultural significance. Right. It was 2018. And I actually took a class from the expert witness that did it. His name is um, E. Michael Harrington. Mm hmm. Um, and basically his role was to explain the cultural significance and, um, he's a lawyer, but Mm -hmm. he's more of like an expert witness than a litigator. (laughs) Um, but you know, he, he kind of helped, um, helped it come into public domain. Um, so yeah, thought that was pretty crazy. So yep. 2018. So this is pretty recent. This decision. That's what I was saying. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago at all. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Um, Pretty crazy considering how much money music publishers were making from it. It was a big decision for sure. I mean, like very significant. Um, It shows that if you write a song and it literally becomes like an anthem, (laughs) like a whole movement of people, then, you know, then stuff can kind of (laughs) change. That's that's so dope. Yeah. That's That's so, so cool. Yeah. Basically, anybody can cover it now. Nice. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. No um, gatekeepers. No gatekeepers. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there because I thought that was really interesting. That is. That is <clears> super, <throat> super interesting. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, well, I will. I, I personally want to do a little more uh, reading into that. So I'll have to make sure. some time for that. But um, yeah, please do. Like I said, I don't know all the details, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so carrying on with our little history lesson here, um, and then we're going to kind of dive in into the songs we chose today. Um, but, uh, so earlier pop music, like, um, and, and I'm, I'm really more so talking like fifties, sixties. Um, although, I mean, you could, you could, I guess, um, we could talk a little, you know, thirties and forties because blues, um, kind of found its way in, into this, um, you know, civil rights movement as well. Now blues wasn't only about civil rights, um, because it, you know, there, there's a lot of subjects you could write about. The whole point was sure. just to write about, you know, things that happened and, and to tell stories. And, um, but specifically, um, that, uh, that became, you know, more part of the movement, um, the rhythm and blues, um, genre because the younger people were into it. And, um, you know, that was a way to kind of get, uh, the youth more politically, um, 
charged and motivated. Right. Um, so artists like Ray Charles, um, who I guess, so I, I was a little unclear about what they said in this article that I was reading, but, um, Lonely Avenue became fighting for my rights. I don't know if Lonely Avenue was the Ray Charles song. I think then, so. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, so fighting for my rights became kind of like the, um, the chant song, the March song. Um, right. And, uh, Heli, uh, Heli, Harry, um, Belafonte, um, the banana boat song. Um, yeah. So apparently that turned into, um, a chant as well. And I couldn't find the name of that one, but that, that was, um, turned into another, you know, kind of like March song or, or a song that was used, like when everybody was thrown into a jail and then everybody would just start singing that song together and then new lyrics were created and it just became again kind of this like you know motivational like hope like carry on type of thing which is really cool Um, do you want to know a fun little tidbit i do (laughs) and i just learned this the other day because Hmm. i'm a total dwerk and i was like i want to know more (laughs) about this person do you know where harry belafonte was born oh gosh um take a wild guess france Really? Okay, so no, no. He's born in New York. <laughs> okay. I thought it would be like Jamaica or something like that. Mm. Um, but it said that his whole career was kind of dedicated towards um calypso music. Yes. I which did is kind of the same thing as reggae, but just more like fun themes. Very similar. Yeah, um, calypso is like more more upbeat, like like right. Like that's kind of like right. the classic Calisco Calisco Calypso beat. Right. Crisco um, beat. Crisco beat. Extra greasy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But isn't that interesting? I definitely yeah. thought he would be from like Jamaica or something, but he was born in like Queens. Or I don't remember exactly, but it was not where I thought. I, I mean, like, that makes what? sense. I don't know why I chose France. I guess because it was like the first Bella random Fonte. country. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe about maybe that subconsciously did it. But uh, yeah, honestly, I'm I sure. think it was just because it was a random. It was like, oh, OK, I don't know. Fucking France. <laughs> uh, but no, not France. <laughs> turns out. No. Yet. Isn't that um, so interesting? That is. Yeah, that yeah. is. I love that song so much, too. Um, me, too. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so. Um, so he and Ray Charles were definitely kind of like early, um, artists as far as like people who, who were in pop music, who became like supporters of the movement through their art. Right. Um, like obviously I'm sure they supported the movement either way because it directly affected them, but, you know, using their art to kind of communicate, um, to a, a greater audience, um, for sure. Um, and then, um, the Staples singers and uh, Mahalia Jackson um, traveled and toured with uh, Martin Luther King, um, wow. as did, I guess, or at least sometimes he would perform. I didn't know this until you mentioned it right before we started recording here, but I guess Bob Dylan was part of the um, I Have a Dream, like um, he's got some connection there in the history there. Yeah, I think he played after the speech. Okay. I think a lot of people did, though. Okay. Uh, yeah, it wasn't yeah, just sure. like him. It was it was basically like a big celebration, I mm-hmm. assume, after that, like as part of the march and Yeah, bring stuff. bring the young people out, get them excited and Right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, Bob Dylan was huge in the civil yeah. rights movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, him and sure. um uh was it Joni Mitchell or Joan Baez? I mean, they all kind of were like folk artists and Joan particular. Baez was. Joan I mean, Baez. the big That's one that everybody was, thinks yeah. of is Nina Simone. Of course. Um, of course. That's kind of the big female empowered yeah. person that everyone thinks of. Mm-hmm. 
But um, yeah, no, all of them were. I think most hippies really hated segregation and, <laughs> yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff for sure. Yeah, totally. I mean, and then it started, you know, it, it, it was tied into like the Vietnam War era as well. Um, I mean, obviously just like young, young men in general be, were being sent off to war, but, but especially like young men of color who like in the States didn't have the same rights and opportunities. And then they were also being used as like cannon fodder for right. the U S government. That was, uh, outwardly essentially very racist and you know yeah it was fucked yeah. i mean so yeah you had a lot of these um these younger artists who were kind of you know saying something about it and um um you know i don't know if the beatles really fall into like protest music category but i mean they definitely had some songs that kind of like you know i feel like uh danced around the subject a little bit oh um, for sure you know but, i mean i think blackbird was from what i've read Mm-hmm. had something to do with that oh really okay yeah i didn't like know that. civil rights yeah um, i mean i don't know how accurate that is i've read all kinds of stuff about the beatles that's that might or might not be accurate <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. For, sure. for all we know it could be like <laughs> a lullaby for a kid or something but yeah, i've read right. that it had something to do with the civil rights movement <laughs> totally yeah but um, also paul mccartney's dead so <laughs> paul mccartney don't take it seriously Oh no! You remember the big movie? Yeah, I was like, "What are you talking about?" But yeah, no, no, no. everyone's like, "Oh yeah, Don't that's not panic. really Paul." <laughs> he's still um, alive, guys. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna outlive us all. Oh, um, for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway. So, um, all that said, you know, those are those are just some little uh, facts that I thought were kind of interesting that I wanted to bring into the conversation before we um, really start diving into the music um, specifically, which is kind of more of our area of expertise um if you want to put it that way <laughs> yeah um, no definitely but uh the the last couple artists here that i'll mention are, are some of the ones a few of them are we're actually talking about today but um so uh curtis mayfield and marvin gay uh jill scott heron um is it jill scott or gil scott i've heard literally i've heard both you um, know i this is gonna make me sound super stupid but i'm yeah. gonna be honest i don't know who that is oh really oh wow no. okay so um probably one of his most well-known song well-known songs is um The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Um I love that song. It's I have really, probably really cool. heard it, but I don't know. Yeah. It's so he's he's um he's a poet. Um he's kind of known more more as a poet and and like he would do um uh what is it called? Um uh, like spoken word over like jazz kind of influenced um was it like almost kind of like early? Well, I guess if it's jazz, not really. I was going to say like early influence of like rap and hip hop, but I oh, guess if it's I, I mean, jazz, definitely. Not really. I, I would say like it would be, it would be weird to say that he had no impact on that genre. Um, in my opinion, it would be kind of crazy to say that because I, I mean, yeah, to me, like, like I think I was reading you know, somewhere, uh, where it was saying like, oh yeah, he's kind of like one of the early rappers in a way. Okay. Um, it definitely does not sound like rap as it is today because it wasn't as like, I don't know, like at least when I think of the revolution will not be televised. Um, he's not like syncing up, like syncopating with the groove. He's kind of just speaking over it. Okay. Um, for, for at least, you know, the majority of the song. Um, well, and I think too, if he's doing it over jazz, like a lot of rap music doesn't have a whole lot of harmony going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. For all the harmony was was definitely more instrumental, right? Um, 
you know, as far as the, where, where that was being, uh, I guess, drawn from or accented on. Um, the bass line what in I... that song is really sick, by the way. Just nice. Just out there. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. guess what I mean by that, too, when I said harmony is more just like chord progression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like okay, not a yeah. lot of rap songs have a chord progression. Yeah. It, sometimes, I mean, most of the time, it's there, but it's more understood. It's more yeah. like cleverly put together from the melody and the bass line. Yes. Than it is like chord, chord, chord. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, a lot it's not... more just like <laughs> generally understood. Yes. Yeah. I would say that's that's pretty accurate. Although, I mean, definitely, you know, there's some like chord movement um, in some of his stuff, but but that one in particular is definitely more of bass line, drums. There's a cool like flute uh thing going on in there um but uh yeah so um he very very well studied guy too apparently again i don't i don't know his whole background history but i was just looking into him a little bit um and he got i think he got his master of arts from johns hopkins um oh wow and yeah i mean he's a very very (laughs) educated man um and you can tell i mean just like the his his lyrics um you know, sometimes can can get pretty. Uh, I, I don't want to say heady. I mean, they're, the the message is definitely not intended to be hard to understand uh, by yeah. any means. But um, you can tell that that you know he was really um, well read for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, so and then like I mean, even Sly Stone, I feel like uh, you know more seventies. Um, like uh, everyday people, like I don't know if I would call that a protest song, but kind of. Kind of, you know, yeah. I would um, say it's probably considered that. Yeah, yeah, because you know, it's just about accepting people for who they are, and everybody's different, and you know, that's the beauty of of you know the variety that we have as humans. Um, right. So, um, but yeah. Anyway, so you know, those are those are some artists um, who definitely you know were involved in some way or form. I think in the civil rights movement, um, and uh, so on that note. Um, let's transition over to uh, talking more about the songs in particular. So, um, Melody, you had uh, kind of put together um, a list of some songs, and then we, you know, we talked about them. Um, some songs that we feel like definitely uh, capture this moment in time. Um, so, why don't you start us off uh, with with the first one here and kind of give a little background? And yeah, definitely. So, the first one that I chose. <laughs> Was A Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke. I love this song. It's old. Most of us know it. Um, If you don't know it, it's definitely worth a listen. Mm -hmm. You've probably heard it somewhere. (laughs) Um, Just because it's kind of used for a lot of movements um, in times past. Um, I saw it used a lot in um, when the Ukraine movement was going on. People like were singing it a lot. Really started off, yeah. Right, just because you know it, the message is kind of universal. Um, but I found this interesting thing on NPR. So the song originally did not sell super well mm-hmm. for Sam Cooke. Like it was a modest hit for him. Okay. Um, which does make sense because it came out not long before he died. Um, he was shot, so, right? Yes. Wasn't he shot by like? A girlfriend or his wife or something like that um yeah i've heard a lot of different stories my my the story i've heard from the most people um was that it was a like a interracial thing and oh. like a white guy shot him 
Oh, okay. So it kind of ended on an interesting note as well. But I don't know how true that is. Um, but that is the story I've heard the most. <laughs> okay. So maybe so. Yeah, look it up and I'll keep going. I'm yeah, interested yeah, to know going. now. Um, but anyway, the song wasn't a super big hit uh, for him, but it became an anthem um, in the civil rights movement and would um, later be heralded as his magnum opus, which I, you know, I, I do agree with. I like a lot of Sam Cooke songs, um, but this one's definitely like top five for sure for me, um, just for yeah. song's sake. If you if you think about the meaning behind it, it's probably higher, but just taking the song for face value. It's a great song. Um, so in 1963, um, he had already scored many hits uh, in the pop marketplace, but kind of how he wrote the song, he heard Bob Dylan's song Blowing in the Wind or Blow In in the Wind. And he was inspired to kind of create his own protest song that was more targeted towards African-Americans. Um, because blowing in the wind wasn't specific to that group. Okay. Um, not that a change is going to come is necessarily specific to African-Americans. Um, but I mean, it is, but also it, it could be applied to other things. Like I was saying earlier. Um, so kind of talking about lyrically, there's a lot going on in this song. It's a simple song. Um, the chord progression is a one, two, six chord progression. So one chord major, mm -hmm. then a minor second, and then yep. a minor six. And it's a chord progression you hear a lot in 50s and 60s music. So just the chord progression alone isn't going to be enough to be like, whoa. <laughs> um, but <laughs> right, obviously, yeah. obviously Sam Cooke's an amazing singer. So that's the first thing you're going to notice that starts on a really powerful note. Yeah. Um, with the melody, la na na, la na na, na 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 na, right? So it's automatically, it kind of is an attention grabber. It's soulful. Um, and also just the words, I was born by the river in a little tent. And just like that river, I've been running ever since. Like, you know, just a clever play on words. Um, but it definitely kind of packs a message in the first line. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the first mm -hmm. line is always, I, I try to, as much as I can make it an attention grabber. I don't know how successful I am with that, but songs that kind of start like this definitely kind of catch your ear. Cause you're like, what? Right. <laughs> he was born by a river. Do you <laughs> remember that <laughs> SNL skit with Chris Farley? Down by like, the river. <laughs> it's a classic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think my favorite verse from the song, is it's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die because I just don't know what's up there beyond the sky. Mm. I love that line. That yeah. verse. That's great. Yeah. That's, um, it's interesting too. So by the way, quick mm -hmm. inserting of, uh, history here. Um, speaking of his fear of dying, um, at least as he wrote it in the song. So his, his death was, um, the result of, so a hotel, so he was staying at a hotel staying with the, this girl and um i guess she like ran off somewhere he was going to find her went to find her excuse me um went to the um hotel manager's like office and was like like trying to get into the room um and so i guess out of fear self defense i don't know it gets a little weird here um the hotel manager um shot him 
when he mm. like barged into the room and uh he um yeah so basically he he died and according to her it was self defense and obviously according to like his crew it was a very different situation uh i i don't know enough to really speak on it um well, other sure. than i'm going to lean in in the direction of like it was probably uh kind of racially motivated <laughs> you know um kind of like how a lot of the time cops will shoot people of color uh, before asking questions. So it kind of right. seems like it was one of those situations. I mean, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but sorry, I just, I, I just I landed on that information right when you were just talking about, you know, him uh, uh, saying, I'm afraid to die because I don't know what's up there. Uh, and I was like, Ooh, man. Um, but uh, <laughs> right. yeah, but, but the speaking of the chord progression, chord progression, God, I can't talk today. <laughs> um, uh, I just want to like play. So you you said it was a one, two, mm -hmm. six, right? Yep. So we have the one. It is. I believe it's in B flat. It is. So there's our one chord, I B flat major. Yep. And then he goes to the two. Just like that river I've been running. And then what's interesting is that it goes to the minor six. Ever since. Yeah. Very unusual. Right, because like the um, you know, the jazz world we've talked about does the two five one kind of thing, or you mm -hmm. could do a one, two, five, which is a little happier sounding. Right. But this is a little darker when you go to that six chord. So it's it, even even the chord progression being as simple as it is does kind of capture that that sadder, you know, more melancholy vibe of the song. I feel like. Definitely. You know? Yeah. And um, in typical 60s fashion, there's a lot of orchestral arranging. Mm -hmm. um, oh, it's so cool, too. On. Oh, my gosh. That intro, speaking of, I, I, I don't mean to cut you off, um, but I just want to point out this really cool thing that happens. Yeah, sure. So please do. It kind of, it walks down like a major scale. Um, I think it starts on the six. Like something like that and it keeps going down but so the chord progression like the chords kind of follow it um and it's like a like one seven um six uh five whoops sorry um four and then uh three two one mm -hmm. when it gets to the one and then it does this whole step down and it brings in that like flat seven. So in the key of B flat, there should be an A natural, but not an A flat. But there is an A flat in this chord progression. Right. And then he goes again down again to a G flat major and then F major. So we get the five turnaround. Yeah. Right. Which is really cool. I just think, sorry, I just think it's really dope because it's also all orchestral. So it, it doesn't sound as like, you know, jarring jarring yeah but it's like the, the way everything weaves in and out um is really really dope right yeah i love it love that song yeah yeah all right so the next one we chose dustin why don't you take this one because you actually have played this song many times more than i have i'm sure but we've both played it a lot yeah um, for sure yeah it's kind of it's funny because like it, it is totally a song about um you know the the uh, darkness of the world at the time um but like you Definitely. hear it so much that it's almost like like it's been taken out of context and in, in, in some ways sometimes now and it's just like now it's just like a song 
but it's obviously like it's much more than than that. Um, so the song is definitely uh, "What's Going On" by Marvin Gaye. Um, so uh, this is a fact that you that you brought up, Melody, that I didn't know, and I think is really interesting, um, but makes perfect sense. And it's that he said in an interview, um, I guess one time. Um, that he said, I work best under pressure and when I'm depressed. The world's never been as depressing as it is right now. We're killing the planet, killing our young men in the streets and going to war around the world. Human rights, that's the theme. And it's obvious that, you know, that's kind of the message behind the song when you listen to the lyrics um, or you read the lyrics because, yeah, I mean, it's literally directly talking about, you know, what is going on in the world right now? What's happening to our children and and right. uh, what's happening to the world um, but it's also, you know, it's interesting that he, he mentions that he, he gets most creative and writes his, his best stuff when, when he's depressed and having, a um, you know, a hard time with life. Cause I think a lot of artists are that way. I know I can be that way. Um, most of the time, a lot of the songwriting that I do, um, is kind of a, I mean, it's therapeutic, you know, it, it's, it's a, maybe a commentary about what is going on around me or just like an overarching theme of how I'm feeling. Um, but I don't think, you know, I don't think that's uncommon um, for, for right. an artist to be inspired by the things that make them sad, you know, um, because sadness is uh, like, like a lot of feelings, um, but especially sadness, I think is so universal. You know, every person experiences that and it could be a child sad that they're, lollipop fell on the ground you know but it can also be a grown adult sad that their child is being sent off to fight a war they don't believe in um right you know so um yeah so it's uh it's definitely a go-to classic for a lot of covers uh cover bands i should say that uh <laughs> that i played in as well um and you know most people know this song um so I also really love it because the bass line is super iconic um, because for a couple of reasons. <clears throat> First of all, it was played by James Jamerson, who is, you know, the, the guy, the arguably the, um, the, the inventor, the godfather of electric bass playing, um, how to approach playing the instrument and the, the type of role that it has, the tone that is, um, that it should be taking up in the mix. Um, so what's also cool is that the only, I believe the only, um, recorded video of James Jamerson playing live is, uh, for what's going on, um, which is pretty wow, dope. Wow. That's cool. I know. Right. Uh, I mean like you can hear his playing on almost every Motown record ever, but, <laughs> right, you know, right. but you don't see him playing, um, a whole lot, uh, in video form. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a recording of him performing it. Of, of Marvin Gaye performing it somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so it's um, a really cool chord progression. Um, also very simple. I think that's kind of the message here that we're that we're noticing with a lot of this um, music as well is that the 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 music is supposed to be simple because the um, the lyrical message is really what we're trying to get across and we're trying to unify people and bring them together with the same idea. So we don't want to overcomplicate it with a bunch of you know, weird chord changes and right. like melodies jumping all over yeah, the place. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the chord progression uh, for most of the song is um, one minor six and it's in the key of E major. So um, I picked up my bass for this one because I'm, I'm going to demonstrate part of the bass line, but um, there's your E major chord. So it's a... Uh, 
and then minor six. Right? So, um, mother, mother. Um, oh, I just lost my lyrics here. There's too many of you right, crying. Right, yeah. There's too many of you crying. And then, brother, brother, brother. There's far too many of you dying. I'm trying, I'm singing it like an octave low because I can't I know. get up there yeah, right yeah. now. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, but uh, then the uh, there is a change. There's a two five in there, so it goes to an F sharp minor and then to a B seven, and then back to the E and the C sharp minor for most of the song. Uh, now there is also this really cool part in the bridge. They go to a minor four, so an A minor. That right? is so unusual. Right, it is super unusual. Yeah, because so, four chord is almost always major. Right, like literally, I would say almost more than almost always. <laughs> like yeah. it's it's very unusual um, for the four chord to be minor, and it's yeah. very jarring in this song uh, when it does so, which I think is probably purposeful um, yeah. for the bridge section because it's very unsettling. Kind of matches the lyrics for the rest of the song. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable it feeling. It is, it is. Yeah, because um, so, all the rest of it's kind of bouncy and happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And kind of fits. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, where did that come from? Like, I remember the first time I was learning it, I was like, oh, did this just like change keys? Right. Like, what <laughs> right. is going on? Yeah. It's very unusual. So when people are listening, that's during this section when it does the the little string solo and he's kind of doing the... Yeah, all of that kind of section. It's very unusual uh, chords there for, for the key that we're in. So check it out again. Yeah, yeah, it's such a cool song. It's very um, good word painting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the, the baseline, again, I, I think one reason why, you know, being so iconic and it's that Jamerson thing, like he's he's known for... Jamerson is known for um, playing like on the um, 16th note, like syncopations a lot. Um, so like, you know, like the bass line to the song is really bouncing around a lot that. Right. Like that kind of thing, right? So it could just be. Right? And there is that, but or he's it really could just bouncing. Bum, 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 yep. bum, bum, bum. Like it could still work, <laughs> you yeah, know? Right. But it but, just kind of gives it like a, I don't know, like I always picture, <laughs> not that these are similar at all, but it's almost got that kind of whimsical vibe, like. Um, the theme from the first Pee Wee Herman movie, <laughs> it's kind of got that do, 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 yeah. and, you know, it's kind of like all like whimsical, it kind of, any kind of syncopation kind of, you know, elicits that same response for me. It kind of makes me like bounce in my seat. Yeah. Like, yeah. Boo. Boo, 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 boo. Which, <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, again, it's almost like, I don't know how intentional that was from a production standpoint, but like it makes a huge difference when you're trying to make a song that's carrying a, a big like political statement uh, uh -huh. or, and cultural message and you make it a little like more fun in a way. Like not that lyrically it's fun, but I think like groove wise, like you can kind of dance to it a little bit, you know? And so it like, 
it sinks more into your memory because it's like not only does it lyrically have a meaning, but also it, it like you can still kind of move and and you know. Yeah, I mean, I would say too, it's an interesting choice to start the song like it does. So it starts with like a group of people at like a party yeah. kind of thing. It sounds mm-hmm. like. The, with the way that the first verse is, this song could start very similarly to Metallica's one. Yeah, yeah, We yeah, could yeah. just have like guns and like, you know, tanks and shit going off. But instead <laughs> they started it like, you know, at a party, like started it. I guess where I'm going is like this song could have been much darker and kept these same lyrics. But they kind yes. of did it in like an uplifting way. Yes. That yes. kind of gives hope to it. Um, exactly, cause I don't yeah. know that this would be as big of a song if it started like Metallica's one, but it totally <laughs> could not. have, like it totally it could have. Yeah. You know, yeah. it would, it would totally make sense if it did. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, that's a really know. good point. That's a yeah. really, really good point. And, and I think, you know, just breaking that down, that idea of like, okay, what makes a song a successful, um, you know, protest culture, um, comment, cultural commentary, Right. Um, song, something that'll really last for the ages. You know, obviously like the the Sam Cooke one we were talking about first, like has lasted for ages. But like you said, it was not a hit at first. And I wonder right. if maybe that's because it was kind of like more slow and, um, you know, didn't it just doesn't groove the same way as what's going on does. Maybe I think probably another big reason was just straight up racism. I mean, definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because, you know, for like sure. Sam Cooke was a pretty, I don't know how to say this without sounding offensive. He was a pretty like white black guy. And I guess what I mean by that is, mm. did you ever watch like the Whitney Houston biopic movie? Uh, it was no. like, it was really good, but it kind of also talked about her. And I think that they kind of fall into the same category where like, White people liked her because she was like a very white black person, but black people didn't like her. Some didn't because she was too white. And then some did because she was like, there was always this turmoil of Mm -hmm. like, you're not black enough. Well, you're not white enough. You're not, you know? And so I think he probably kind of experienced that same thing. Um, Just because, I mean, you can kind of see just from looking at him, you know, and kind of the mm-hmm. way he dressed and the way he carried himself and the way he sung, he was very, um, just different, you know, and I'm, that's yeah. probably a big reason why he was so successful. Um, and I don't mean that in any like bad, you know, I'm not giving like him a hard time or anything, but obviously, yeah. Cause I'm a huge fan of his, but like, I would think more than the slow themes, it's probably that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say I've played this song in a bar one time. And some like white guy got mad because it was like, you know, like a black pro black song. And it was during like the BLM thing. Wow. And so, really, yeah. Oh my God. So dude, like, it's still, you know what I mean? So like, I think that is a big part of it um, for sure. And I don't think Marvin Gaye was as much in that category. Like he really was mm. like, you know, he wasn't as much like, a white artist, <laughs> like, a you right. know, the fifties right. kind of culture thing. Yeah. Yeah. He was more, yeah. Yeah. Marvin Gaye was definitely more, I guess, 60s, 70s, like. Right. And know. just different, mm-hmm. you know, not quite as much, um, 
Like I feel like Sam Cooke tried a lot to not really ruffle feathers with his music. Yeah. It was very just like Cupid, draw back your bow. (laughs) You know? Yeah, yeah. It was like that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, a lot of love songs, a lot of um, you know, twisting the night away. Hey, like very he never touched any topic that was hard until this song, at least not outwardly. Yeah. Which Um, I mean, you know, granted, you know, like his time frame as a musician, I think like maybe people weren't as bold at that point or like there was a lot more, not to say that the sixties and seventies were like less dangerous for people of color, but I think to a degree, like compared to the fifties, maybe, right. um, You know, when things became more well televised, you know, and you could actually see what was going on all the time. Like it gave people more pause. Um, And, you know, I think the youth of the sixties and seventies were a little bit more, um, you know, obviously it was, it was less segregated and, and people were more like they were communicating more and, and actually understanding each other's stories more. And so it became more, there's more connection right? Um, and more and, support. And I just thought, you know, this is interesting because as soon as I said, this was the first song he made that was controversial, Sam Cooke did actually do a, a few other songs. The one that came to mind was, I think it was. The song was something chain gang. Have you ever mm-hmm. heard that one? It's like all day mm-hmm. we're working on the chain gang. I'm not all sure day. if I know that and then one. Do- I might, I might, Boop. I just don't know for sure. But I think even with what I was gonna say with that, even with that song, it's not so much controversial because a lot of white people were probably like, Yeah, you were <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> or so thinking like- of it like like prison chain gang and not like like you're in a chain gang because you're not white. Right. <laughs> you know right. I mean? Right. So, yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. Cause as soon as I said that, I was like, Oh yeah, he kind of did, but mm. I don't think people minded those as much. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't quite as like pro black, you know? Right. I think right. white people were more mad about that, but yeah, great song. Um, what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely recommend everybody listen to it, especially if you are a musician and you haven't mm-hmm. really ever sat down and checked it out. It's very good. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So the last one we're going to talk about today is People Get Ready by mm-hmm. The Impressions or Curtis Mayfield, more commonly known. Yeah. Um, so I thought this was interesting. According to the U.S. Library of Congress, People Get Ready is about the sin of slavery never atoned for. Um, it's about uh, systematic racism and the promise of deliverance. Um, it is honestly a super simple song, (laughs) like super duper easy song. It's really, um, three chords chords the whole time. I think so. Um, it never really, it doesn't really have a bridge section. Not that I heard that really stuck out. If it does, it's more of just like a break. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, super simple. Um, if you haven't heard this one again, definitely go and check it out. I've played this one a million times. Really? Um, have you? Yeah. I've never played this one. Before. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I usually get put on saxophone whenever I've played this one. Oh. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very good song. Uh, it kind of is centered around, I guess the way I've always interpreted it is it's like a, a train. Um, and they basically want everybody to get on the train. You know what I mean? That kind of mm-hmm. theme. Yeah. Um, it's a really, really great song. 
uh, kind of the whole song is um, kind of centered around the train metaphor. Okay. Um, but if you kind of look beyond that, you see what the actual purpose Meaning of the is. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, man, this guy really likes trains. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it's a really great song. Um, one thing that's interesting about the chord progression, which kind of is a little musical tidbit, the last chord in the progression has a different note in the bass than it does in the guitar. Yeah. So what does that kind of mean, Dustin, as a bass player, when you play something that's not the tonic or the root note of a chord? Mm. What can that kind of um, color it like? Um, it's really interesting. So, uh, I shall demonstrate, um, using the handy dandy guitar here. The um, so, so the, the, uh, I don't remember what key this one is in, um, but we'll just say it's in the key of C for the sake of simplicity here. Um, that works for me. Or you know what? Actually, maybe I do remember. I think it might be in the key of D flat. So okay. a half step higher than what I was going to play. Okay. <laughs> so I think it's D flat and then it maybe goes up to D um, major later in the song. Mm -hmm. um, so we would have the first chord, the one chord, which is major, D flat. And then there's um, a minor six. So kind of like what's going on a little bit. Same initial chord progression. Um, but then it does the four over five. So normally, if the bass was following the guitar chord, uh, guitar progression, excuse me, it would go one, six, and four, and then set back to one. One, six, four, one. But what the bass does here is the bass plays um, an A flat, which is the five of this key. So while the four chord is happening... There's this, which I love that sound because it, it, Bruno Mars fucking loves it too because he uses this shit in so many of his songs, <laughs> so many of them. Um, but uh, yeah, what it what it does to me when I hear that um, is like the five that the bass is hitting is making that transition back to the one chord a little more solid, a little more direct. Um, but combining that with the um, harmony of the four chords, so in this case, the G flat, um, the B flat, and the D flat, um, with this underneath. In relation to the five, like, like um, we basically, we have a, a quartal tonality, which means fourths. Uh -huh. A lot of fourths, right? Um, which can sound very churchy. Um, and then there's also this um, kind of suspended ninth sound, which is an octave of a second. So it, it feels a little unfinished. Mm -hmm. And you add the fourth in there. Now you have two, um, uh, what are they called? Um, you have your... Uh, Dominant, subdominant, uh, subdominance. That's what it is. You have your sub, um, or uh, yeah, tonic, subdominant, and dominant. So the two and the four of a, of any major key are subdominant. Whoops, sorry. But the five is dominant. So you're you're putting those two together right. with this in the bass, and then the flat seven of the five chord. So again, uh, the guitar is playing the four. 
and the, the root of the four chord is a G flat. So we've got that. But again, in the bass, we've got the A flat underneath it. Right. So you're creating a dominant chord when you combine those two root notes of G flat and uh, A flat, or at least you're creating the, some of the elements of a dominant chord, not necessarily right. the whole dominant chord. Right. If you add the third in there, then you're creating the dominant chord. But instead of doing that, you get the four chord. And it just, I don't know, it's very bright sounding to me. I guess it's like for some reason that chord combination sounds hopeful. It does. Sounds like there's a direction. We're heading somewhere. We're heading for brighter, greener pastures and 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 brighter days, you know. Because this works it, just fine. Right. And it totally matches the lyrics because all you need is faith to hear the diesels humming. Don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's the way this song ends. Yeah. So yeah, the music fits the words perfectly. And that's why it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And yet still so simple. <laughs> right? right. That's what's so cool about very, it. Very, very simple. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sex, Drugs, and Disappointment. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a review and connect with us more on Instagram and TikTok at SDD Podcast. Each episode is also available in video format on YouTube. And don't forget. (laughs) And don't forget. Uh, Have fun. Don't do too much. And it's going to happen. It sure is. It's I was coming. trying to think of a theme for MLK Day, but we just talked about three of them. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> 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 <laughs>